have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And can you hear the bells? Oh, yes, I can, because it's 11.55 somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the holiday Christmas season. And because Tom Hanks certainly has a type for playing likable people who love trains, we are reviewing the 2004 animated movie Polar Express. Directed by Robert Zemeckis adapted from the Chris Van Allsburg holiday classic by the same name. Um, and this is a great partnership, Zemeckis and Hanks. Uh, it had been a while since they worked together, four yeah. years. They're kind of like the Olympics, I feel like. <laughs> it's like only on even years and pretty mm-hmm. spaced out. Uh, and this yeah. is the winter one, the winter yeah, Olympics. Yeah, this, this is the winter Olympics. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is the animated version of the book uh the 1985 children's book um that is uh 32 pages so they they really stretched out what happens in between each page it's a real uh shrekening if you will (laughs) yeah but i the animation is really interesting too because i remember the book vividly and they really attempted to capture that almost kind of like oil, glossy feel uh, that the original illustrations had. Um, So yeah, it's kind of interesting how all of this evolved stylistically to become this movie that we're reviewing today. Absolutely. So the making of this movie actually dates back to 1999, uh, where Tom Hanks, you know, loving all of his Toy Story money, uh, optioned the book uh, and hopes of playing the conductor and Santa Claus. Um, But one of the conditions of the sale was that the movie would not be a cartoon. I mean, and this is to quote Zemeckis, it would look awful and it would be impossible. It would cost $1 billion instead of $160 million. End quote. You been Bobby Zed. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, this movie is actually a a pioneer in animation. It is the first animated feature to be made entirely with motion capture technology. Without Mm -hmm. this movie, I mean, would Andy Serkis really have a career? (laughs) In fact, they were listed in the 2006 Guinness Book of World Records for doing the first all digital capture film. Yeah. Um, So it's important in terms of animation and uh, just the visual evolution of of this medium. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they took some... Uh, it was quite a journey, not the least of which is uh, a journey through the Uncanny Valley. And, uh, <laughs> Choo-choo! Yeah. It's, uh, it, it really rides that line. And so, uh, yeah, I, that's what I remember too. Like, oh, yeah, I remember like seeing Tom Hanks, but it also being animated. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, uh, the Uncanny Valley is um, a weird place where it's an unsettling feeling that people have when interacting with androids or other super realistic humanoid simulations where you have a stick figure on one end, and then you have an actual real human being. Uh, The Uncanny Valley is somewhere close enough to the real human being, but just far enough away for it to feel unsettling. It's like what happens when you give hedgehogs people teeth. It's exactly what happens. Uh, And so um, because this was, you know, new technology at the time, they hadn't quite perfected the how do we make them look uh, 
human enough and cartoony enough, like so that people didn't, you know, also have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't stop people from going to the box office with a budget of $165 million. It grossed $311 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, and it's, it, I mean, at the time, that was record-breaking sum uh, for a budget for an animated film. And it, it went on to exist in so many other forms. If you watch Polar Express, you know that someone really wanted to make this into a ride. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. SeaWorld Orlando actually debuted uh, in 2007, the Polar Express Experience, which was a motion simulator ride based on the film. And I was going to be so upset if there was not an actual ride based off of this movie, because I feel like 30% of it is, all right, great. We need to pitch this to one of the parks and we will make our money that way. That's interesting that SeaWorld was the one that kind of leaned into that idea. I guess they really need an attraction during the winter. Well, that was exactly it. So it replaced a wild Arctic um, and was available seasonally, like every year up until 2015. Uh, That was the final year of the Polar Express experience, and then Wild Arctic came back with their year-round schedule. Wow, that's pretty recent. Right? That means that we could have ridden the Polar Express. Yeah. Well, I mean, Universal is still running the Waterworld stunt show, so... Yeah. You live on in the theme park. (laughs) You either ride long enough to see yourself become (laughs) the Wild Arctic. Yeah, and so um, this movie uh, was released uh, in several formats. uh, 35mm 3D for IMAX, um, which they also generated the 3D experience from the same 3D digital models used from the standard version. So I feel like that would just wrinkle Mm. your brain and your concept of what visuals are. Uh, It it also was released to VHS uh, and also a uh, dual disc DVD. So I forget that VHSs were still around in 2004, but they they were. And... um, Someone has Polar Express on VHS, but probably not Laserdisc. Probably not. Probably not. I did read that this was the, the the first movie to be dual released in theaters, though, on the 35mm and the IMAX 3D. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, a, a new thing. I feel like yeah. a lot of, a lot of especially uh, family films, jumped on that after, because that's a right. pretty easy sell, especially these theme park feeling films mm-hmm. where, yeah, you want it to be a little more experiential, a little more sensory. I just thought that yeah. was interesting. If I had to like guess what the first was to do that, I don't think this would be in the top 10, but rewatching it, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly visual uh, and experiential film that's meant to kind of immerse you in it. Absolutely. Um, a couple of fun facts about this movie, and I say this is a fun fact. Apparently, everyone knew this. Our lead protagonist's name is Hero Boy. Hero he, Boy. <laughs> he doesn't have a name. He's just Hero Boy. Hero Boy. There's also a Hero Girl. Know-it-all and Sister Sarah. I, and I, I, I was floored by that. I was like, the credits are just like... Wait, Hero... That, was that who he was? So that, that created a... Um, a bit of a, a misunderstanding on my part when I was rewatching this that completely shattered my my world for a moment until I realized what was happening. So I mm-hmm. read the credits 
I read the credits before rewatching it just to kind of get a sense of who's in it. I've seen this movie. I saw it in theaters and I was a massive fan of the book growing up, um, read it over and over again. So I was like, okay, yeah, I remember like what the book has to offer, but I don't remember as much about the movie. So I was reviewing the cast list and Tom Hanks plays a lot of characters in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he plays a handful of them, but he's also listed as playing Hero Boy. And for... For a moment longer than it should have been, I was like, did they motion capture Tom Hanks as a kid? Like, is, did they voice modulate him down to sound like a child? Like, is this a Groot situation? Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know what was happening. And I was like, I mean, maybe maybe he's like, yeah, he's Hero Boy, Father, Conductor, Hobo, Scrooge, and Santa Claus. Sure, maybe they did. But I then realized they're referring to the voiceover that he does as really Hero Man, which would have been the more appropriate crediting. And it's Daryl Sabara that is the voice yeah. of the true Hero Boy from yeah. Spy Kids. Yes. Well, actually, Grayson, you're kind of right oh, no. with both. So Tom Hanks was motion capture Hero Boy for like part of it. Um, Josh Hutcherson um, did additional motion capture as Hero Boy um, for motion capture. So, yes, Tom Hanks motion capture suited a lot of Hero Boy as well. Which is interesting, too, going back to what we did in Big, where he was then... Yes. It's kind of reverse Big. That's what it yeah. is. Where he would... Tom Hanks would imitate the actions of the younger actor. Oh, look at that. Circle alive. That's a different film. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting. In fact, I mean, Tom Hanks really did like the idea of it being um, animated after, you know, he explicitly said, don't do that, uh, because he really felt that it was a a throwback to original, like, theater in the rounds, because they were all in, like, a black box theater, like, interacting with each other. He mm. he really liked the production of it. and. And, and he really does like this movie to this day. Yeah, it, it's a great film. I'll talk more about why and my reasons to recommend. But I think it does offer um, offers a lot for audiences, not uh, not the least of which is Michael Jeter's final film, yes. uh, mm-hmm. which there's a dedication to him at the end, who we've seen on the podcast, uh, both in Air Bud and Sister Act 2. Mm-hmm. A great character actor in this. Um, he plays the long-bearded uh, train operator who uh, gets, uh, he's got the signature red hair, classic mm-hmm. to Michael Jeter, um, and kind of serves as an unofficial train whistle <laughs> when his, his beard gets pulled. So that, yeah. I just thought that was a nice tribute. Um and we've talked more about his career uh, in the in the Airbud episode, but yeah, it was just nice to see him through this this film again. Absolutely, yeah. And so I know you mentioned you uh, you had seen this uh, movie before, and you were in love with the book. Uh, okay. I this is my first time watching the movie in its entirety. Um, oh, YMCA. I actually. <laughs> I was in uh, an urgent care uh, for, I want to say, the time I got the flu, and it was playing. <laughs> oh, so this is like a sick delirium movie for you. Yes. I only, oh, yeah. I only really remember like the ending, which um, I was just like, what? what's up with that bell? And so <laughs> I, I didn't get anything until I actually watched the movie, um, and uh, I'm like, oh, 
that's why the bell's important. Okay. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. and then actually after watching the movie, um, I actually went out to my library and read the book. Um, support your public libraries. Like this week, you went to you went yeah. to the library. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and it was like it was really cool to see because I forgot that um, the author, um, you know, Chris Van Alsberg, is it's the same author who wrote Zathura and Jumanji. Uh, Manjunji, um, yes, yes. <laughs> and so uh, I'm gonna tuck that away for headcanon. <laughs> um, and so I just I really I forgot how much I really appreciate that style, and it made more sense why they were trying to bring that style to life because it's so mm-hmm. iconic. I was just so impressed. Uh, at first, I was like, "Why?" Because I, I I was watching the movie. I'm like, "Why does it feel like they're really trying to stretch this movie out?" And then <laughs> I'm reading the book. I'm like, "Oh." This is why. Um, and I, I I was actually more impressed after seeing what information they were given because I'm like, oh, man, they're adding so much. Like the, the boy who's late to the train um, mm-hmm. isn't even in the book. Right. Most kids aren't even named in the book. It's just like the one kid um, who actually does believe in Santa in the books versus someone who's skeptical in the movie. Um, so, I mean, they really brought to life the world of the north pole because like they say there are buildings everywhere i'm like i i you're right we've never seen a north pole look this expansive so of course they would want to explore the city more uh which i thought was a really good choice i think expanding it and embellishing the different uh they, they still hold true to plot points from the book but just more stuff happens um but i think adapting the structure for something that plays well in film uh, is well executed in this. Like it's right at the midpoint that they get to the North Pole. Right. And you would think like, oh, that's the end of the movie when the train reaches its destination. But it's like, no, there's, you know, what happens there. It's about getting to Santa. Like they set up enough breadcrumbs along the way. There's travel in it, but it's about him actually you know, interacting with uh, with the North Pole and kind of being confronted with this thing that he's been doubting even existed. So right. I thought the structure was really nice. I thought it moved at a, at a really good pace. Um, there were moments, especially in that second act, where you're like, man, this this operation is just real flimsy. Like, yep. trains breaking down and stowaways, but... They added those to keep the the interest and the drama and the action, which is what you got to do for a a film that's going to appeal to kids as well as adults. Um, So, yeah, as far as adaptations go, I think it's a really strong one. And, um, yeah, definitely some lessons to be learned from adapting, like you said, a 30-something page book into uh, an hour and a half film. Like, no one's going to make a movie out of a 30-page book. Zemeckis said... Hold my zoetrope. And then he just, he did it. It's like, what if it takes three minutes to read each page? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and it, it shows up on, um, you know, uh, Freeform, formerly ABC Family's 25 Days of Christmas. So it's a Christmas classic. Um, and it, it's become something like not many Christmas movies um get made and then still become classics especially in the 2000s and later it's usually the the ones from days of yore that are becoming the classics and i think this movie has a very special uh, sweet message um about christmas and 
um, what what Christmas can uh, mean for uh, kids who are uh, coming of age. Um, there are several times where I'm just thinking like, oh, this is like Stand By Me, but with Christmas. <laughs> and uh, and it really made me want to see the uh, Stand By Me Christmas special that, um, that I'm sure Polar Express could make. Um, you know what? I'm just going to write this down on my <laughs> n- mail to Netflix ideas. You just got to get Steven Tyler to make a cameo. <laughs> and it is sold. Done. Grayson. Yes, Ricky? Do, do you hear that? I do. I do hear that. What's that noise? Jingling in the distance. I think it's the sound of a head cannon. Head cannon. Head cannon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. So, Grayson, um, my head cannon, I'm I'm just excited. This might be my most researched and backed up headcanon. Gross. So, as you know, Grayson, um, Robert Zemeckis directed several blockbuster movies, including Back to the Future. Well, Grayson, there are several elements that point us to this being a time travel movie. Go on. So, um, there is, uh, when he is going through his, um, you know, conspiracy theory notebook of, Mm -hmm. like, why Santa's not real, there's a photo of Santa's on strike Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. outside of the mall. Mm. The Twin Pines Mall. Is it the Twin Pines Mall? It's the Twin Pines Mall, Grayson. Oh, my goodness. So, we're living... That makes sense. We're in the first loop, then, before it became Lone Pine Mall. Yeah. Because this takes place in 1955. So interesting. <laughs> okay, and then also, during the scene where the um, they're, like, losing the pin... Uh-huh. There is a flux capacitor in the background. Oh, boy, howdy, there is. And also, because, you know, the time freezes, like it's always five minutes till, right? You're right. You're right. And so, like, that's that's how it happens. That's how Christmas happens. And also, why a train? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> if you're going to whisk children off and have them learn about the spirit of Christmas... You might as well do it in style. I figure if you're going to kidnap a bunch of children at once, <laughs> why not do it with some style? <laughs> I like that better. Anyway, <laughs> headcanon. Yeah, so I have one more piece of headcanon. Oh, great. Um, so there, that ghost um, that was on top of the train mm-hmm. um, uh, who had a very dark storyline. Um, I was thinking, like, maybe this is, maybe he's one of the ghosts. Maybe he is, like, a ghost of Christmas present because it's always about, like, stay in the now, like, focus on being a kid. Well, there's a fun little detail. When Hero Boy, you know Hero Boy, he falls asleep. The clock in his bedroom reads 1020. So that's the same time as the clock in Scrooge's bedroom when Marley's ghost appears in the um, Alistair Sim version of A Christmas Carol in 1951. So that ties them together because I, I I think we talked previously when we reviewed Scrooge or Scrooged is that the ghosts have other gigs year round or like they have other people who they haunt. So uh, my, my uh, headcanon is that he is another ghost of Christmas present or that there are multiple ghosts of Christmas present that Mm. um, are, you know, 
do different things because he's like, yeah, I can come on this train anytime I want. I want to say that he's actually like the executive producer of this whole <laughs> this whole operation. That checks out. And last piece of headcanon is that the Polar Express is uh, so Grayson, you know how when you're playing um, uh, Monopoly, for example, mm-hmm. what's one of the pieces that you have? In it's there? a hat. It's a hat. Um, what's it's a one shoe. that? Uh huh. Keep going. Thimble. Uh huh. Scotty dog. Yep. Race car. Uh huh. Yeah, a train, Grayson. <laughs> a train. Train, train. <laughs> Sorry. I just watched the Perina dog show, so I got yeah, Scotty yeah. dogs on my on the brain. That's fair. Yeah. So trains um, are also a little Monopoly pieces, also game piece. Uh, Jumanji, Zathura, other things. Um, I think this is also an extension of those um, enchanted magical toys. Basically. Oh, well, that makes sense. They show the uh, the model train at the yep. end. Uh, so I could see that. Nice headcanon. Thank you. I got it for Christmas. So the first one that I tried to, to spin up is that this is somehow uh, connected to Toy Story. Um, oh. And that I was like, maybe it's like a Toy Story prequel, but the sister's age causes some problems with that. And that this would have been the last Christmas with Andy's dad. And uh, because we don't get anyone's names except for Sister Sally. So that, again, the sister kind of messed that up. But um, so this is the last Christmas with his dad. And that one of the toys he got for Christmas morning was the Woody doll. um, And which is why it sounds like his dad and kind of takes over the a lot of the mannerisms because uh, he, he, the hero boy also wears these Will Rogers cowboy slippers through the whole thing. And he's mm-hmm. got like a, a cowboy lamp and it, it all is very similar, but this takes place in 1955. So maybe not, maybe he's Carl from up. Cause we know they're related <laughs> from toy story three's postcard. Yeah. Um, but I didn't spend a lot of time on that head cannon. A second head cannon was that the, this is a time travel story. But in the sense that the hero boy grows up to be the conductor, and what we're actually seeing is that that every Tom Hanks role in this film is the same character at different points in the timeline, except for the dad, who is just the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but he starts as a boy, he grows up to be the conductor, and then the hobo, that's how he's listed in here, mm-hmm. uh, he is uh, the ghost of the boy after he's passed on. Oh. And which is why he's trying to save past versions of himself. Like the conductor tells the story of how he slipped off the train on his first run, but was saved by someone or something, which is exactly what had just happened to the boy. Oh. Um, and uh, since the futures of these characters are all still kind of in limbo or it's being kind of played out uh, in the events that need to happen, it's not until the hobo is successful in saving their lives that he is actually reborn as Santa Claus. Uh, it's kind of like a Gandalf the White type scenario here. Mm. So there is a time travel element to it. Um, I think that's also why we see the hobo character kind of disintegrate at the end because he's he's been embodied in this new form. Um, but this is really just picking up on different points in the same timeline. Even when he gets the bell on the sleigh, if you look in the background, the conductor and Santa share a look with each other like they know what's about to happen. They know mm-hmm. that he lost the bell as he lost the bell. 
Um, and But everything had to play out in the correct order. So I, I feel like there's a lot of these kind of... Uh, a, I won't go through every time that it kind of points to it, but there are several occasions where the conductor says like, Oh, I should have known, or of course, like that this has happened before. Um, Mm -hmm. So that makes it really interesting because that means this, this is about not only how the boy comes to believe in Santa, but how he becomes Santa, which is really interesting. And here a boy's name, like I said, never mentioned, um, but according to uh, the books containing information about the Polar Express, like about the art and fun facts about it, people have kind of brought up that the he- hero boy's name is probably Chris, named after the author Chris Van Allsburg. Uh, oh, just so okay. much of the location is kind of tied in with the, the actual author's history, right. which makes sense when the card is signed by Mr. C., so, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's all connected. So that's wow. that's my thought for how these characters. It kind of makes sense then why, from a story perspective, Tom Hanks is playing all of these roles, um, and is because he is actually growing up. So that's interesting. Then with the the hero boy narration, when he's talking about when I was a kid, then he's actually not narrating as. Uh, as Hero Boy, you could make an argument that he's narrating as Santa Claus. Oh. Uh, which, would be, which would be pretty cool. Pretty that's cool. why he can still hear the bells. Yeah, that's why he can still hear the bells, yeah. As I grow old, the bell still rings for me, as wow. it does for all who believe. But what I like about that, too, is it means that both Buzz and Woody are Santa Claus. Um, <gasps> yeah! But my final piece of headcanon... And this is where <laughs> this is where it really goes off the rails. <laughs> is that this movie, Ricky uh-huh. Rickethan? Oh yes, Rickethan Anderson, two. That's me. Full name. This movie is the missing link between Willy Wonka and Snowpiercer. <laughs> we got a train. We got golden tickets. We got magic chocolate. <laughs> There's glass transportation that goes up ways, down ways, slant ways. So they're not actually elves then. They're actually Oompa Loompas or vice versa, however oh you want to look at it. Goodness. But yeah, I think oh. um, I think this is this is the natural oh. transition point from Willy Wonka to Snowpiercer, which we've talked about in the past um, in the Willy Wonka episode. But I, I think it makes sense. So what's really interesting about that then is what it reveals about the true nature of Willy Wonka and that Willy Wonka is secretly Santa Claus. Um, Because, I mean, think about it. What's Willy Wonka trying to do? He's trying to determine who's naughty or nice. And I think it answers a lot of questions about Santa Claus and how he does what he does, like how he can eat all the milk and cookies set out for him, how he can compact what would be an everlasting task into a single night um, and how he's able to shrink down to fit in every chimney and how uh, the reindeer can lift off the ground to fly. And uh, yeah, how he can tell a good egg from a bad egg. So Mm. gets us to Snowpiercer, but it also, you know, clues us into old Santa Claus along the way. Wow. So shines a good deed in a weary world. 
So the double feature would be Willy Wonka, uh, Polar Express, and then Snowpiercer. Yeah, that's the trilogy. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense? Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That is the uh, the Chocolate Train Trilogy. Uh, sponsored by Toblerone. Chocolate Train. <laughs> and now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Um, I'm only going to make I'm gonna make this uh, short and sweet for yeah. me. Cast whoever you want. Um, I would love for them to do um, choose different mediums. I would love mm-hmm. for this to be like a stop motion claymation. I said movie. the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, I just think that would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Or live action, but with Muppets. Um, like this should be like the, <laughs> the Muppets present the Polar Express. Uh-huh. Uh, I think would be a very great just adaptation. Um, or if they were just like human puppets oh like silence of the lambs or what are you uh going for here uh not silence of the lambs but like i guess um cartoon people i mean bert and ernie are human they are are they not are bert and ernie not human no they're 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 uh muppets yeah 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 but right but they have a oh, human okay. form I hear, you I mean hear like that right like they're, yes. they're felt but they yes. are made in the image of their maker, not a giant bird or something like that. Correct. Yes, yes. I do mean okay. that. I mean um, Burton Ernie's adventure-esque type of things. Yes, basically that. Okay, I don't know why it took me so long to get there, but yes. Um, <laughs> it really made me question what it means to be human. <laughs> am I a man or am I a Muppet? Uh, so, yeah. So ba- Or I would, al- I would also like to see what they could do live action because if they can do – half of the you know jumanji um movies like both 90s version and uh the 2000 aughts reboot mm-hmm. um then i think that they could really achieve this um in live action but i also think that it should just be a feature length roller coaster ride yes um, i i just think that that would just be the right medium for this movie yeah for my recasting uh i had steve carell uh, just because I feel like he as hero boy as hero boy yeah yeah, yeah. not just the voice either all yes. of it all um, yeah I, I feel like he is similar to Tom Hanks in the likability and versatility I, th- I think you'd do well I also had Jim Carrey at one point but I think that's because I was also um, kind of crossing the wires with the Christmas Carol. Um, adaptation that they did which was a very similar medium Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just easy to picture that because I've seen that Um, and uh, the only other person I recast was Know-It-All Kid and I I recast him as Dustin from Stranger Things because the voices (laughs) sound so similar Um, but yeah I I agree with that adaptation in the medium of making it a Rudolph style claymation stop motion um and yeah i agree it'd be an excellent roller coaster i I mean even just the three main roller coaster based scenes of glacial gulch uh the runaway train car from the north pole and then the package sorting tubes like that's all you need like that's a great three-act coaster right there so um yeah let's see it i feel like this would really fit in at universal studios absolutely even if they were somehow able to adapt another coaster to a seasonal opening 
kind of like what they do for the Halloween horror nights there. Um, I think it, I think it draw in a huge crowd and I know that's something that I would really enjoy and kind of experience this again. Um, cause we've, we talked about theme parks and roller coasters, uh, every now and then, uh, as being, you know, storytelling vehicles, literally, <laughs> but, um, they do, they tell a story and it's kind of interesting the impact that a, a ride can have on keeping stories alive. Like I, with Disney plus just coming out. So I had, uh, recently rode Mr. Toad's wild ride. Uh, it'd been years since I've done it. I was like, ah, why not go through it? And then I went through and I was like, I don't remember the story being like that. And then when Disney Plus launched, I was like, I got to watch Mr. Toad because I wrote on the ride and I need these answers, these questions answered. Um, And so I I think adapting this into uh, something experiential like that would really be uh, a good move. Yeah, like the uh, Universal Studio Tour, I think, is like the way to make this a ride, like so immersive um interactive scenery and effects i just think that that mm-hmm. that whole thing um is the right vehicle uh for <laughs> this movie of uh, yeah. being a ride because it, it's it really just made me want to like go hop on a roller coaster afterwards i'm like man i yeah. don't know why but i want to just drop several hundred <laughs> feet Maybe that's the move. Yeah, the, the actual tour tram at the end, which currently ends with Fast and Furious, you could redo it for the holidays to be Polar Express and just have Tom Hanks and like, you're part of the family now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 2004 movie Polar Express. I recommend Polar Express because it's charming, sweet, and just really baked in Christmas feels. Like it is meant to bring those feelings uh, forward and kind of bubble to the top. Uh, And Tom Hanks's performances, he has so many different roles, but they give... I, f- I feel like the the multicasting there really gives the movie a sense of mystery and wonder um, to where you are intrigued and you want to go along for the ride. Um, at the same time, even though it has all this uh, nostalgia, even if you haven't seen it before, it has a nostalgic element to the way that it's told. Um, it's still exciting. And ultimately, it's a story about faith. Um, it's about exploring doubt and confronting doubt and uh, about growing up, about transitioning from being a child um, to that next stage of life. And so if you're looking for a, uh, a good Christmas tradition movie, like a movie to watch every Christmas with the family, this would be an excellent choice. Very family friendly, very fun, exciting. Um, and I feel like it has aged really well, actually. Um, especially since when it first came out, people looked at the technology and they were like, oh, this, this I've never seen anything like this. This looks different. The, what they're doing now is actually fairly commonplace in high-end video games. And right. so we're used to seeing characters like this now. Like a lot of the scenes, I was like, oh, this could have been straight out of like God of War, except for the trains and Christmas stuff. Um, but it's like the visually... It, it's not 
an odd look to us, not as odd as it was when it first came out. And so I do feel like this movie has gotten even better with age. And technology aside, it's just because they respected the source material um, from Chris Van Allsburg uh, so well and understood what made that book a classic and were able to adapt it to this full-length feature film. So that is why I recommend The Polar Express. Yeah, absolutely. I I really want to give this movie credit for being the first fully animated motion-captured movie. Um, much like the first gift of Christmas, it gets the rest of Christmas going. I'm glad that this movie existed and it, it really does have a lot of heart and charm all in of its own. But like without this movie, we wouldn't have um, as many of the other fully animated CGI motion captured movies that we had following it in its style. I, I think it's it's really great for, you know, looking at the movies that pioneered like an entire genre or style of movie i mean it's it Mm -hmm. did for um these types of movies with motion capture technology um what pixar did for 3d animation so Mm -hmm. um definitely give credit where credit's due there but i'd recommend the movie just because it is really fun to see what story you can add to a limited source material. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm much more of a movie person than a reader, um, but reading what they were given to work with, I'm really more impressed with the movie um, because they really added a lot of story and a lot of dynamics and a lot of heart that just was not in the book, like at all. So um, I recommend it for that. Um, I recommend it um, for the childlike wonderment of, Christmas and um, and just really, um, you know, like what you said, Grayson, like it's a it's a coming of age story and it's sweet and it's it's Christmassy. So definitely recommend it. Definitely recommend it for a new holiday tradition if you haven't started it already. And ho, ho, ho. And that's our review. The 2004 animated movie Polar Express. Uh, Let us know what you remember about Polar Express and if you can still hear the bells on our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean a lot to us. Like the most uh, theatrical. Uh, presentation of hot chocolate that's how much it would mean to us uh, if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice it helps people to know that this is a podcast where you can hear the bells year round um, no matter how old you are leave us a rating and review on a scale of one to five you would think it would be bells mm. but i'm gonna say torn pockets oh yeah because five torn pockets is actually good because it's it's a greater opportunity for redemption. One is like, oh no, five is a fashion statement, I, I, I would assume. Maybe if it's one pocket, but how many fingers you can fit through the hole in the pocket. Oh yeah. Like if you can fit your whole hand through that pocket, <laughs> that pocket tore it up. <laughs> it is, that is barely a pocket anymore. That is a flap. Which to follow the metaphor and our rating score is that's a, a good, good thing. thing that's a good thing and be sure to tune in next time right here on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast until next time remember to be kind and rewind mm-hmm.
next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. So I know that in the Polar Express, you know, they had the reindeer, you know, like fly off. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Rudolph. Oh, yeah. Well, Rudolph wasn't allowed to participate. Why is that? Well, you know, they don't let them take part in any of the, um, what do you call them? Um, Training exercises? They don't like play... They like play with the other animals. Uh, oh a, yeah, it's like a phrase. Yeah, um, reindeer camaraderie. So close. We're reviewing reindeer games. They wouldn't let poor Ben Affleck <laughs> play in any reindeer games.